Hello, friends, and welcome to Into the Word, a radio and online program committed to reading, loving, and living the whole counsel of God. I'm your host and Bible guide, Pastor Paul Carter. Your word is a lamp unto my feet. If you have your Bible with you, I'd love for you to open it now to Psalm 37. These are extraordinary days. The pandemic due to COVID-19 has undeniably changed the nature of the world that we live in. How should God's people respond? Obviously, we don't want to go along with the crowd, and we mustn't just speak out of our own fear, anger, and confusion. God's people lead out of quiet. We get alone with the Lord. We open up our Bibles. We do like Hezekiah did. We spread our troubles out before the Lord, and we cry for help. And help comes. It comes in a variety of ways, but one of the ways, if not the primary way it comes, is through His Word. Over the course of this pandemic, we've released a handful of special COVID-19 episodes on the Psalms. There is a psalm for every season. I'm convinced of that. And at each of the various twists and turns in this global crisis, we have identified a psalm that seemed to speak with particular clarity and utility into the current challenges and upheavals we were facing. The first one we did was on Psalm 91. That was about facing fear and uncertainty in a spirit of faith. The next one we did was on Psalm 42, when we were all starting to feel the absence of corporate worship. And then a little while later, we released one on Psalm 23, which was really about guidance and comfort in troubled times. After that, we did one on Psalm 77, when we were wrestling with whether there could be a good and ultimately God-glorifying purpose in the challenges and struggles that we were facing. And now, in what I hope is the end stage of the COVID trauma, it seems like it would be a good time to spend a season feeding on Psalm 37. Now, to be clear, I'm not saying that Psalm 37 contains information that will help us figure out the origin of the COVID-19 virus, or medical guidance as to whether we should take the vaccine or not, or a cipher that will help us sort through all the confusing and contradictory information coming at us through the internet. I'm not saying any of that. In, In fact, of course, it would be most unusual if Psalm 37 addressed any of those issues directly. So don't hear me as saying that. What I'm saying is that Psalm 37 provides perspective. It commends an attitude, and it offers ballast. This is good spiritual food for confusing and chaotic times. So let's get into it. Psalm 37 is a wisdom psalm. It is organized in an acrostic pattern with each stanza beginning with successive letters of the Hebrew alphabet. The acrostic pattern is particularly helpful when one has a a big idea that one wants to explore from a variety of angles. And it appears that, that David, who is the author here, wanted to spend a considerable amount of time exploring the theme of meekness. For the Christian reader, Psalm 37 almost feels like a devotional reflection on the third beatitude. In fact, Derek Kidner says here, there is no finer exposition of the third beatitude than this psalm from which it is drawn. The third 
Beatitude, of course, is blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth, Matthew 5, 5. Meekness is a complicated concept, and I think it would be fair to say that meekness has seen better days in terms of its celebrated status within the confessing evangelical church. Everyone is a fighter now, it seems. Everyone is unsettled. Folks are agitated. And of course, we understand why that is. The world is in chaos. Wicked schemes appear to be prospering. Mysterious evils seem to be spreading. And we aren't sure what to do about that. And meekness doesn't feel like the most useful response. So what did David know that we don't? What did Jesus know that we don't? What is meekness and why should we embrace it in these troubled times? That's the question. And Psalm 37 is the ideal place for us to go to answer that question. So hear now the word of the Lord. The ascription here says simply of David. Verse 1, fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Now, if you're following along at home with your Bible open, then you're probably wondering exactly how this alphabetical acrostic structure works. Of course, it doesn't show up in the English translations, so it can be difficult to spot. Most of the stanzas have four lines to them. Now, not four verses or not even four sentences, but four phrases, all of which together constitute a single proverb reflecting on the theme of meekness. You can hear that essential rhythm in these first two verses. So phrase one is, fret not yourself because of evildoers. Phrase two is, be not envious of wrongdoers. Phrase three is, for they will soon fade like the grass. Phrase four is, and wither like the green herb. So that four-phrase stanza begins with the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet, the letter Aleph. In fact, in Hebrew, the first word in the first verse is actually not, as in al, the prefix of negation. So not fret is the opening word in Hebrew starting with the letter Aleph. And then the first word in verse 3 begins with bet, the second letter of the Hebrew alphabet, and so on. Now, of course, when we translate that into English, all of it disappears. But in general, all of these stanzas are represented by two, or in some cases, one longer English verse containing these various phrases. All right, back to the stanza itself. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Interestingly, that phrase exactly is repeated in Proverbs 24, 19 to 20. Psalm 37 is classified as a wisdom psalm, as we mentioned. In fact, all of the stanzas effectively create Proverbs. So listen to Proverbs 24, verses 19 to 20. It says, Fret not yourself because of evildoers, and be not envious of the wicked, for the evil man has no future. The lamp of the wicked will be put out. All right, well, that's exactly the same idea. And of course, it's easy to imagine why that might be. This, this was something, Psalm 37 was something that David created for religious instruction in his own home. He probably made his children memorize it. And then Solomon, one of David's children, creates something similar in the book of Proverbs for his son on the eve of his marriage. That's how Proverbs is framed. It's framed as 
parting instructions, parting wisdom from a mom and a dad to their son about to get married. So lo and behold, it contains a lot of the same material. This is Hebrew wisdom passing from father to son to grandson. The essence of the counsel here is that we must not allow ourselves to become angry and obsessed over the short-term successes of evil people. In this fallen world, there are people who don't pay attention to God's law. They live as a law to themselves. They don't care about the common good. They break all the rules. They do everything wrong. And yet, in the short term, they appear to prosper. And if you let it, <laughs> that could drive you to distraction. So don't let it. Play the long game. Look a little further down the field and see the ultimate end of all these foolish people. Without a root system, these people are going to wither during the first drought they encounter. And even if they make it through that, they will not stand on the day of judgment. So chill out. Do what you know is right and be patient. Derek Kidner, again, is marvelously helpful here. He says, an obsession with enemies and rivals cannot be simply switched off but it can be ousted by a new focus of attention, close quote. The new focus of attention is commended in the very next stanza. Look at verse 3. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. So worship God and do good. Let, let that be your new focus. Get your eyes off your enemies and off all of those people whose lives you disapprove of and look at God and do your job. That's brilliant advice for us all. Verse 5, commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. I've mentioned before in previous episodes on the Psalms that vindication is an important aspect of all truly biblical conversations about salvation. In a peaceful, prosperous, majority Christian, or at least culturally Christian context, the idea of vindication is often overlooked. But if you're a persecuted minority, if you're hated for your beliefs, if everyone thinks you're a sucker for playing by the rules and for fearing God in godless times, then all of a sudden, vindication becomes very important. And so David says here, trust the Lord, do it his way, and trust that he will square things at the end. He will bring forth your righteousness. He will show and shine forth your justice as the noonday. Matthew Henry says here, if we take care to keep a good conscience, we may leave it to God to take care of our good name. Closed quote. At the end of all things, if you have walked faithfully and obediently with the Lord, then you'll be famous. At the end of all things, if you have walked faithfully and obediently with the Lord, then everyone will know your good name. So, eat some of these short-term hardships. Absorb some of the slings and arrows of fading adversaries. Don't fret. Don't fight. Just trust in the justice and vindication of the Lord. Verse 7. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. 
Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Verse 7 is one of those instances wherein the entire Hebrew stanza is presented in a single English verse. But you can still hear the four beats to the poem, as it were. Be still before the Lord. Wait patiently for him. Fret not over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. In this four-beat proverb, the emphasis is obviously on waiting, being patient, being still. J. Alec Montiers is here. As in English, be still refers to both speech and activity. In any of life's tensions, neither rush into speech nor into frantic action, closed quote. I've given many believers the advice over the last several weeks and months, don't make any long-term decisions. Don't make a major change in your life trajectory right now. We're all suffering from low-grade stress. Be careful about rushing to tweet, to speak, or to decide. Believers are playing a longer, slower, more patient game than their unbelieving neighbors. Our horizon stretches into eternity, so we, we don't need to feel rushed. We don't need to feel pressured. We need to do what's right against the scale of ages. Verse 8. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, it tends only to evil. For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. By the way, just notice how often the word fret appears in this psalm, as in fret not. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way. Fret not yourself. It tends only to evil. Tim Keller says here, Fretting is a common activity of our age. It is composed of worry, resentment, jealousy, and self-pity. It is dominant online. Closed quote. Yes, it is. It is dominant online, which is why Christians need to be very careful when they go online. Social media was made for fretters. It facilitates worry, resentment, jealousy, and anger. So as a Christian, either don't go on it or at least don't go on it unless you are capable of going on it as a steady, calm, patient, long-suffering, grounded human being. But if you feel yourself getting sucked into the outrage machine, then get out. Get off. There is no value at all in online outrage. Martin Luther actually sounds fairly prophetic here. He says, and what avails such rage? It makes the matter no better. Nay, only sinks you deeper in the ditch. Closed quote. That's exactly right. If you feel the pull of internet outrage, get out. Because if you give into it, it will just pull you deeper into the ditch. And at some point, it will be impossible for you to find your way back out of the rabbit hole. Verse 10. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. But... The meek shall inherit the land, 
and delight themselves in abundant peace. This is biblical meekness in a nutshell. Biblical meekness is not about cowardice or weakness. It is about wisdom and perspective. You don't have to fight every battle because the war has already been won. If your enemy has just been injected with a deadly poison and has 60 seconds to live, you don't need to engage him in hand-to-hand combat just to show everybody how brave you are. You can just take a few steps backwards and let the toxin run its course. That's what this psalm is saying. If a person has rejected God, then they're on borrowed time. In just a little while, they will be no more. But if you are in right relationship with God, then you will inherit the land. The cheaters will be wiped off the board. Their ill-gotten gains will be redistributed. So chill out. That's meekness. Jesus endorses this viewpoint and broadens and expands upon the associated rewards. Listen carefully to what he says in Matthew 5, 5. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Did you catch that? The land has become the earth. Followers of Jesus are thinking bigger than the narrow little stretch of land in focus in the Old Testament. We're, we're thinking about the whole earth. We're thinking about the new heavens and the new earth. Same basic principle applied on a universal cosmic scale. Verse 12, the wicked plots against the righteous and gnashes his teeth at him. But the Lord laughs at the wicked, for he sees that his day is coming. So God has this basic viewpoint as well. He isn't up there in heaven wringing his hands over the momentary advances of the wicked. He laughs, for he knows their day is coming. Verse 14, the wicked draw the sword and bend their bows to bring down the poor and needy, to slay those whose way is upright. Their sword shall enter their own heart, and their bows shall be broken. All the weapons of the wicked will be turned back upon them. All the pits they dug for the righteous will become their own graves. And that's why you don't have to uncoil every supposed conspiracy theory out there in the big bad world. Now, whether they are real or imaginary is a conversation for another day. I, I think there are plots hatched by the wicked. And I think for every one of those real plots, there are three rumors and fairy tales out there on the Internet. But regardless, regardless, the Bible is saying fret not over that. Because ultimately, all those plots and schemes will unravel. All those mischievous plans will backfire. All those bows will be broken. So, believer, carry on with your given assignment. Don't get distracted by trying to unravel what will unravel on its own. Verse 16. Better is the little that the righteous has than the abundance of many wicked. For the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. Again, this is just another way of saying the same thing. You would rather be the person with a little bit now who's walking with the Lord than the person who has a lot now who's not walking with the Lord because all that they have will be taken away, whereas all that the righteous person has will be retained and added to at the final judgment. Verse 18. 
The Lord knows the days of the blameless, and their heritage will remain forever. They are not put to shame in evil times. In the days of famine, they have abundance. So God keeps his eye on his people. He's watching them. He will allow them to be pressed but not crushed. He will give them extra strength and extra resources so as to be able to meet the challenges of extraordinary times. Verse 20, But the wicked will perish. The enemies of the Lord are like the glory of the pastures. They vanish like smoke. They vanish away. So, not so the wicked. For them, the difficult day is the day of their diminishment. When the shake happens, their tower falls, and they fade away. Verse 21. The wicked borrows, but does not pay back. But the righteous is generous and gives. For those blessed by the Lord shall inherit the land, but those cursed by him shall be cut off. I love that. This whole stanza sounds like a combination of Proverbs 19.17 and also Proverbs 3.33. Proverbs 19.17 says, Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deed. Proverbs 3.33 says, The Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the dwelling of the righteous. So again, this is basic Hebrew wisdom. Take the long view. Do good. Don't be worried about being repaid in the here and now or in your immediate circumstances. Don't you worry. God's got your back. He's taken the long view, and he will repay you, and you will be glad that you trusted in him before the game is over. Verse 23. The steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong. For the Lord upholds his hand. So God encourages us when we're walking on the right way. His, his help and his blessings are found along the path of trust and obedience. John Calvin says here, As God sees that the faithful act conscientiously and do not turn aside from the way which he has appointed, he blesses their efforts. Close quote. So the narrow way may be uphill, but it is a road frequented by the blessings and kindnesses of God. Verse 25. I have been young and now am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. He is ever lending generously and his children become a blessing. Now, we need to listen to this stanza very carefully. David is not saying that righteous people never fall into poverty. He is saying, in his experience, such a thing rarely, if ever, happens. W.S. Plumer says here, There are in Scripture many general principles stated, which are not universally true, though they are commonly so, and the exceptions to them are rare. Closed quote. Remember, proverbs aren't promises. They are general principles based on a faithful knowledge of God, the world, and natural law. Wisdom is about how things should work, how things generally do work. But of course, we have to account for the brokenness of the world, the wickedness of individuals, and the wickedness of social structures, and also the mysteries of providence. But generally speaking, 
a great deal of poverty is connected to personal sinfulness, either ours or that of our parents and grandparents. If you follow the commandments of God for two to three generations in a row, then generally speaking, your family's going to be doing okay. Your kids are going to be doing well because God's ways are right and lead to life. Verse 27, turn away from evil and do good. So shall you dwell forever. For the Lord loves justice. He will not forsake his saints. Again, take the long view. Trust in the Lord to settle the scores and to vindicate those who trust in him. Now, the verse division here is a bit unfortunate. The last part of verse 28 is actually the first part of the next stanza in the Hebrew. They are preserved forever, but the children of the wicked shall be cut off. The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell upon it forever. Again, take the long view. Are, are, you, are you starting to see the idea here? Believers never have to give in to wrath. They never have to play dirty because we know how the story ends. Nobody gets away with anything. So for believers, the ends never justify the means. You can't say, well, the stakes are high, so yeah, I broke the rules, but all for a good cause. No, 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 no. That's a lack of faith. That's a failure to see the whole board. Derek Kidner says here, a conflict with evil too often tempts one to fight the enemy with his own weapons, close quote. <laughs> so don't do that. Don't, don't let wicked people change you. Don't let the battle make you a cheater or a liar or a schemer. Calm down. Be patient. Be meek. And stay strong in your trust in the Lord. Verse 30. The mouth of the righteous utters wisdom, and his tongue speaks justice. The law of his God is in his heart. His steps do not slip. Make sure that wisdom is coming out of your mouth. Make sure that truth is coming out of your mouth. And how do you do that? How do you do that in times like these? Keep the word of God in your heart. That's the way to be stable in difficult times. And to that, I would add, in our particular circumstances, get off the internet. The stable person has the word of God in his or her heart, not the 24-hour news station or the whispers of online fools. Garbage in, garbage out. Scripture in, wisdom out. That's the basic equation here. Verse 32, the wicked watches for the righteous and seeks to put him to death. The Lord will not abandon him to his power or let him be condemned when he is brought to trial. So, are there conspiracies? Do our enemies, human and spiritual, plot our downfall and defeat? Of course they do. But the Lord will not abandon you to their power. And even if they appear to get you in the short term, God will set you free and vindicate you in his heavenly court of appeals. So again, again, we don't need to fret. We don't need to freak out. We can stay on mission. We can avoid becoming obsessed with what our enemies are doing out there in the world. Verse 34, wait for the Lord and keep his way. And he will exalt you to inherit the land. You will look on when the wicked are cut off. Yes, there's nothing more to say there. We've heard that a few times. Nothing more to say here other than amen. Verse 35. 
I have seen a wicked, ruthless man spreading himself like a green laurel tree. But he passed away, and behold, he was no more. Though I sought him, he could not be found. We've heard this said now a few times as well. Wicked people grow, increase, and spread in terms of their influence in the short term. And then, poof, in a breath, in a moment, they're gone. So play the long game. Verse 37, mark the blameless and behold the upright, for there is a future for the man of peace. But transgressors shall be altogether destroyed. The future of the wicked shall be cut off. I love that line. There's a future for the man of peace. Are you a man of peace? Are you a woman of peace? Take a few minutes and review your life over the last 18 months. Take a look at maybe some of your tweets, some of your Facebook posts. Are you stirring up conflict, strife, and anxiety in the body of Christ? Or are you mending fences, emitting calm, and refocusing people on the solid rock of Jesus Christ? Think that over. The answer to that really matters because there's a future for the man of peace. No such promise is extended to the person on the other side of this proverbial equation. The person on the other side is altogether destroyed. Verse 39. The salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their stronghold in the time of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in him. Willem van Gemmerens is here reflecting on these closing verses. He does not say, the Lord helps those who help themselves, but help is promised to those who take refuge in him. Yahweh is their stronghold. The divine warrior will sustain and deliver all who take refuge in him. Close quote. You see, Psalm 37 is not calling for passivity or indifference or indolence or weakness of any kind. It's calling for meekness. It's calling for patient endurance in the face of injustice, wickedness, or suffering. It is saying that sometimes the world doesn't appear to be working the way it's supposed to. Sometimes wicked people seem to have the upper hand. Sometimes they're... There is a delay between our good sowing and our fair reaping. And in those times, faithful people aren't fighting. They aren't fretting. They aren't flailing about violently or frothing at the mouth like a crazy person. No. In those seasons, they are calm. They are focused. They are resolved. They aren't distracted. They aren't lured away into false and carnal means for pursuing immediate recompense. They're playing the long game. <laughs> They're biting their tongues. They're turning the other cheek. They're going the extra mile. They're blessing those who curse them and praying for those who oppose them, just like Jesus did. You see, this isn't just 
David's wisdom. This was Jesus' example and instruction. This is Sermon on the Mount stuff. This is Christianity lived out in a broken and fallen world. So we're going to need help here. We're going to need the Holy Spirit. We're going to need grace. We're going to need water in the desert and manna in times of need. But all of those things are there for us in abundance through the person and work of Christ. Thanks be to God. And thank you for listening to Into the Word. If you're interested in additional resources or previous episodes and series, you can find those over the website at www.intotheword.ca. You can also access all our content through the app, the Into the Word app that is available wherever you get apps. And it is the best way to access all of our content. We have so much content now by the grace of God that it's hard to find without the app. And so we would encourage you to get that. You can use that to find all of our Old Testament episodes, all of our New Testament episodes, and all of our special topics episodes as well. We also would love for you to check us out on Facebook. We have a growing community of Bible readers over there. Just put in the search bar, Into the Word, and you ought to be able to find us. And you can connect with other Bible readers there, folks who are posting, reading, commenting, liking, and sharing. And it's just a great place to build a little bit of community around the discipline of reading God's Word. Love to see you there. And I hope to see you again real soon, right here, for another episode of Into the Word.